Welcome to Oak City Church, a family of learners, lovers, and givers sent. For more information, visit us online at oakcitychurch.com. Let us know if we can help you in any way. Thank you for listening. Uh, Thanks, John. John's been here for almost nine months now. If you are thankful that John has been here for nine months, please let John know that. I do have a few things to say about the kickball tournament. The first one, the dominant thing that I've been thinking all um, week long is I'm really sorry if I broke your finger playing kickball because I think there were a couple people that were pretty sure I broke their finger playing kickball. I learned a long time ago not to play basketball with guys at church because something about church basketball leagues are like unhealthily competitive, Um, but apparently you can't play kickball with me either, so note that for the future. Be on my team. Actually, Kevin was one of them. He was on my team. So there you go. Congratulations to the Deep South for beating, for beating our youth in kickball. Way to go, guys. And uh, I don't know. There's a little, I just think there's a tiny cloud of suspicion over that thing. There were some rules, things that like we needed. To, maybe next time we need to go through the rules. Here's one of them. I looked this up. Like there's no um, leading off in kickball. Y'all just stop it. Okay. So They won fair and square mostly. Okay. It was a lot of fun. Was it a lot of fun? Yeah. If you're there, it was a lot of fun. Okay, stand up with me. We're going to read the passage um, for today. It's 1 Peter 1, 3 through 5. Uh, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. This is the word of the Lord. All right, you guys can have a seat. Once again, this is a passage that is um, packed. We are going to be in 1 Peter for a little while. and, uh, but I am going 50% faster this week than I did last week. Last week it was two verses, this week it's three verses. So there you go. Um, we're not going to go this slow through the whole thing, but I do, I do, my favorite type of preaching is probably narratives in the Bible and, um, and digging into those. My second favorite is, is like going through things where you've got two, three, four, five verses at a time and you really let them settle into you and you settle into them. And so we're going to be doing that. Um, in this book, and in, in large part because I think it's so relevant to the times um, that we live in and to just who we are. Uh, so this passage is about um, hope. Hope, I feel like, is a little bit like um, air in that uh, you don't really think about air until you don't have enough of it, you know? And then you start thinking, oh, air, I need air, and you start choking on life. And, and that's how hope is. Um, it, and, and, you know, and you realize, like, I'm missing something. And hope is, I think at its core, like, the belief that things are going to get better or that things aren't going to get worse. Um, hope is that things are going to be the way that things are supposed to be. And when you stop losing that, um, you're in trouble, you know. Last week, I, I talked about a story. Just to re- review that, stories go in settings, and then there's a stress to the setting and a search and a solution and a new setting and how we live our life like that we're obsessed with stories, um, but then we live our life like that. You've probably got multiple stories going on at the same time. Hope is the belief that there is a solution to the stress, um, and you're going to find that solution, and it's going to leave you in a new setting that is at least as good where you started or, or better, like the way things are supposed to be. 
That's, that's hope. Uh, I, would, I think of hope in, in terms of these like components or ingredients. There's a desire. There's something you hope for. You know, the, like what you think the solution or the new setting is, and so you hope for that. There's the means, something you hope in to get you to, you know, whatever it is you've hoped for to that solution or new setting. And there's an expectation or the probability that that thing is actually going to happen. And you need those three, and then the more of those three you have, the more hope you have, and that is a motivating thing. That's a motivating thing. That'll get you out of, out of bed in the morning. Um, if you just have desire, but you don't have means or expectation, you don't have hope. Uh, one of the shows that we, we watched, binge-watched, I guess, during um, COVID was Bosch. Has anybody watched Bosch? It's like a cop L.A. detective show, but he was a rich L.A. detective because he had sold his, his military heroics story um, to make a movie. So he, had a, he was a detective with a super nice house. And so his house was in the hills overlooking the city of Los Angeles and it had all these glass windows and pillars because it's on this hill. And every time we watched that show, I thought, man, if I could have one house, that would be the house. That's desire. There's no means. There are no means that I could conceive of that would have me. I could win the lottery, but I'd have to play the lottery. Even if I wanted, I wouldn't move to LA and move, you know what I mean? So there's no expectation. So that's not a hope. It's just a desire. So I don't think about it because I don't need to. You need more than just desire. You need thinking, oh, that could happen. And I feel like there's a fairly good chance that it will happen. And then it becomes hope. And this, these few verses and where I want to go with this is really asking the question, are my hopes for my life and God's hopes for my life the same hopes? I think that's what Peter is pressing in on in, in the beginning of this letter to the elect exiles of the dispersion in this region of Turkey, but to us. Like, are our hopes and God's hopes aligned? Because if they're not, um, then we're living outside the reality that, that God has created for us, and there's going to be some frustration. So let me start this message by just asking you to, to do a little hope inventory. What is it that you're hoping for? Um, what do you, what do you, I said this last week when I counsel people, I'll get talking through a situation and I'll just say, what do you want? Like, what does your heart desire? Um, because there's a lot of hope, diagnosing hope in that. So relationally, what are you, what are you hoping for? Um, you know, I think if you have kids, you want your kids to thrive. It's one of your, your biggest relational hopes. If you um, have a spouse, you want greater intimacy with that spouse. You know, you want a, a better relationship, a closer relationship emotionally and physically with your spouse. Um, if you don't have a spouse, your relational hope may be um, that, a spouse. Um, it may be, for me, like just meaningful friendships that bring rest, like where you can be who you are and that don't feel like work. Um, what do you hope for materially? Like, what do you really want materially? Uh, and that could be making your ends meet, but, but it could be more than that. You know, I've got um, kids that are college age. That is a material hope, you know, that we're trying to, to bring to a, to a solution in a new setting. Uh, retirement can be a hope. I'm not even sure I hope to re retire comfortably. I hope to retire eventually, you know. You may be in that uh, category. Um, travel, like the Quins are in Europe. They're good friends of ours. We'd like to get there. And so that's a hope with it's got a desire and it's got like the means and expectations and all those things like go into hope. It may be more than that materially for you. Um, and for me, I'm sure it is. But like, what, what do you hope for culturally or sorry, professionally? What do you what do you hope for? Uh, 
for, for me professionally as, as a pastor, like having pastored this church for 15 years and having had front row seats to see God do miraculous things in people's lives, I hope for more. I pray for abundance. I pray for the church to grow. I pray for him to work more and more in people's lives and me to play um, a part in that because there's nothing like it. And so professionally, I have, you know, hopes and aspirations. Um, it, I, think, I think if I dial back from that, like what I've enjoyed professionally is being a significant part of a team of, a people, team of people that are accomplishing like great things. And I think anybody hopes for that professionally. Uh, and so what, do you hope, what are you hoping, what are your hopes professionally? Uh, culturally, like in our culture right now, what do we hope for? Um, man, I hope for people to be able to talk to each other civilly again <laughs> about things they disagree on. Um, and, but that is a desire that, that increasingly, like the means and the expectation are lowering, <laughs> you know? But I think the gospel can make that um, possible. I think I have great hope that the, the gospel can do that. And really what I hope for culturally is revival. But even that, like I think I have great desire for that, but like, it's a challenge to have means and expectation that that is going to happen in the way that it needs to happen in our culture. It's happened before. It can happen again. Too often culturally, I feel like our hope is placed in an election or a person or a group of people that will make things change. Um, so culturally, what are you hoping for? What do you want to see happen uh, in America? Spiritually, what do you hope for? Do you have, do you have hopes that are spiritual? Um, I mean, just times of worship like this with you guys are, I hope for that. I hope for deep times of worship with friends, uh, with family in the church. Um, for times when I'm learning more about uh, who God is and, and how I relate to him and feeling more attached to him, I hope for those things. Like there's a depth, there's a satisfaction to a, a deepening relationship with the Lord that I hope for, that I hope you hope for, but sometimes can seem like, Harder to, harder to get than it ought to be. What do you hope for? Um, so what do, you, what do you hope for? I hope there are some things that, that tick up in your, you know, in your spirit as I ask those questions. And then I'll ask a second question. What primarily shapes those desires? What shapes your desires? Because um, I think um, it's, it's probably either what culture says is, is true of us and our situation, because it is the air we breathe, or what God says is true of us. And those are two different things. And, and they're going to shape your hope to different degrees. And what you set your mind on is going to dictate how much your hope is shaped. You know, if you watch HGTV all the time, my mom watches HGTV all the time. She's been, you know, in, in um, now she's in a nursing home. <laughs> You're not happy with your house if you watch HGTV all the time, you know. Um, and honestly, if you watch porn all the time, you're not happy with your spouse. What is shaping your um, desires. I, that made me think of this passage um, from 1 Timothy. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. And for material things, that, this verse has been a go-to for me because I think it speaks to this so clearly. You can either let the culture dictate what you set your hope on materially, or you can let God do that. They are to do good, be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation in the future so that they may take hold of that which is truly life. And in there is the, 
the illusion that we can get from the culture shaping our hopes versus the reality of what God says is true about um, who we are and how life works. So all that hope. And, um, and so let me speak a few things in, from this passage into uh, my hopes and to your, your hopes. And here's the first one. Jesus offers us a living hope, not a static hope. And so it's living and not static. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so there's something really basic about that, that Jesus is a living, breathing, active, alive. He is not dead. He's not buried somewhere. He is with us in this room right now. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is with us. Um, where two or three of you are gathered in his name, he is there. Like, he is with us. And so he is a living, breathing, active hope. And we know that through his resurrection from the dead. So often, the things that we hope in, I don't know, they seem alive, but they're not. They're dead, and they're static, and they are under our control, whereas Jesus is not. Um, there's a verse in Jeremiah where um, God says this, Be appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked. Be utterly desolate, declares the Lord. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewed out cisterns for themselves, broken cisterns that can hold no water. So he is the fountain of living water. Um, so like we probably could swap hope out for that. Um, and we've hewn out cisterns, and a cistern would be like a reservoir that they would dig out of rock and maybe put some type of, not plaster, but you know what it, like to, to try and keep the water from just flowing out of it. But they're broken cisterns, and they can hold no water, and so that water is going to drip right out of that. I think about um, so much of what we put our hope in uh, today is just like how I feel right now. And those things are so tied together. I referenced a book that I had started reading and haven't gotten very far in called The Rise and Triumph of the Modern Self, where he said that he ties, goes back through history and says, we used to be like put our hope in the state. We were political man and then religious man and put our hope in the church and then economic man and hope in our stuff. But he said probably the last 50 years, we've been therapeutic man and woman and like put our hope in our feelings. And there's just so much of the air we breathe in this. Um, and I referenced this last week. It was, a, it was a, I think it's a Wall Street Journal article called Digital Addictions Are Drowning Us in Dopamine. And so dopamine is that, um, what is dopamine? Is it like a chemical or a hormone? or A neurotransmitter. Thank you, Dr. Pritchett. And it's wonderful. Thank you, Kevin. Um, it is. It's the thing that makes us feel good. But, and so we'll, we'll seek experiences that digital addictions that will get us that because they make us feel good. The article says one of the most important discoveries in the field of neuroscience in the past 75 years is that pleasure and pain are processed in the same parts of the brain and that the brain tries hard to keep them in balance. So whenever it tips in one direction, it'll try hard to restore the balance, which neuroscientists call homeostasis, which is why you can get a dopamine addiction to feel good, but then you're going to feel bad, whether it be your phone, whether it be food, whether it be binge watching something like whatever it is. Um, 
And the author says, in addition to addictive substances like sugar and opioids, there's a whole new class of electronic addictions that didn't exist until 20 years ago. Texting, tweeting, surfing the web, online shopping and gambling. These digital projects are engineered to be addictive, using flashing lights, celebratory sounds, and likes to promise ever greater rewards just a click away. Uh, yet, despite increased access to all these feel-good drugs, we are more miserable than ever before. Rates of depression, anxiety, physical pain, and suicide are increasing all over the world, especially in rich nations. Americans reported being less happy in 2018 than they were in 20, 2008. The Global Burden of Disease study found that the number of new cases of depression worldwide increased 50% between 1990 and 2017, with the highest increases in regions with the highest income, especially North America. Like, we have access to these things that can make us feel good for a moment, but they're not fountains of living water. They are cesspools of stagnant hope that ultimately can be poisonous to us. And so I evaluate in my life and want you to evaluate in your life how much of what we hope for are just quick fixes. You know, I think I said this last week, why, why is it so hard not to have your phone the first thing you look, you look at in the morning and the last thing you look at at night? If someone were able to like, audit um, your day-to-day -day activity, how would they assess where, where your hope is? If they had access to how you spend your time, to what you look at, at online and how often, to what you get excited about, to what you talk to people about, um, they looked at what you get distracted by, where would they say your hope is? We have been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. Our hope is in the person of Christ. I thought about this, and I bet the folks that followed Jesus around when he was walking on the earth weren't staring at their phones very much. Now, I know they didn't have phones, but you know what I mean, because we can be distracted by anything. <laughs> One of my favorite quotes is uh, from Blaise Pascal, who was a like, French um, super genius theologian guy like 400 years ago, and he said the sole cause of man's unhappiness is his inability to sit quietly in his room. And I thought, what did they do 400 years ago <laughs> but sit quietly in their room? And it's be but we can be distracted by so many things, but they didn't, they didn't do that when Jesus was there, right? Uh, their hope had changed because they realized he was someone completely different and fulfilled them in a way that nothing else did and lived a life that they knew this was the life that they were made for and was in complete control of all things. And their hope was in him. We have a living hope. Jesus offers us a certain hope and not an uncertain hope. So again, uh, blessed be God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he's caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So this hope comes from him. Um, and the way that he states this like, lets you know that you didn't have anything to do with it, so you can't screw it up. Like, it's his He did it. Um, this leans into, a, like, a theological concept called election, and that is basically the idea that you didn't have anything to do with your salvation. God chose you. You didn't choose um, God. It starts in the Old Testament. Uh, God chose the nation of Israel. God didn't ask for volunteers through whom he would accomplish his mission of reconciling mankind to himself. And Israel said, okay, we'll do it. Uh, he created a nation 
so that he could accomplish the things that he wanted to accomplish. And I said this, he chose them because they were the least of all the nations, so he could show his greatness. He, he chose you. Um, you didn't choose him. That's, it's difficult. And, it, and at some point, it's going to seem like we chose him because we surrender. But when you look through what Scripture says, there's so much about what he has done for us. And so in this passage, according to his great mercy, not according to our works, but according to his great mercy, he's chosen us. Mercy is, mercy is what happens when somebody looks upon your like, pitiable condition and says, I'm going to do something for you you couldn't do for yourself and chooses to help you um, even though you didn't deserve it or maybe even ask for it. Uh, this, it made me think of a few years ago. I have a, a mechanic in town that I've used for, I don't know, 10, 12 years. They used to be across from the old building on Whitaker Mill, and that's how I got to know him. But I came to really trust him. And this incident, and it's, it's Car Guys, I think is how they've rebranded their, um, their garage. So if you're looking for a mechanic, come talk to me. Uh, I, was, I like to fix stuff uh, in my, on my cars. If I can, I like to fix them on my own, uh, mostly because I'm cheap partially because I like tinkering with cars. And so I had, it was the Civic that I had for years, and I, it wouldn't start. And so I, I checked it out, and I was pretty certain it wasn't the starter. And so I didn't start there. It was something I thought in the ignition. So I think I replaced, I don't even know what it was, but I replaced something. It took me a few days. It didn't work. I was getting desperate. I needed a car. I was out of ideas. I didn't know what to fix. And so finally I went to Ross, and it feels a little bit like cheating on your mechanic when you try and fix something yourself. Like, not like going to a different mechanic, but still, like, it's kind of an awkward conversation. But Ross knows me, and he knows I like to fix stuff, and he knows I'm cheap. So we were good, and I said, hey, I don't know what this is. I probably just need to have the car towed, and you fix it. And he said, you know what, from what you're describing, that's definitely your starter. And he said, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to order a starter for you from my parts guy, and you can go pay for it, but you're going to pay my cost for it and just go home and, you know, take care of it. And I was like, again, I'm a few days into this. I'm, I've already spent some money on it, so now I'm thinking about towing my car and paying him to do something. I know I can do something myself. So this was mercy to me, you know? And I'm like, can I pay you for, like, helping me fix my problem? And he's like, no, don't worry about it. This was a bit of gospel to me. Ross looked at my helpless, pitiable state and decided to have mercy on me. And like tr maybe true gospel would be like he tows my car in for me, fixes it, pays for it. That would be what Jesus would do. Ross isn't Jesus, but in this moment, he was close enough, you know, and so sent me home and I couldn't do anything for him. Well, that Monday, the next Monday, um, after I fixed it, I brought him two cases of Miller Lite because this is what you do when somebody has had mercy on you. You're humbled and you're grateful and you offer them a sacrifice for what they've done on your behalf. And so this is what Jesus is like. Um, he has mercy on us. And according to his great mercy, he's caused us to be uh, born again. We were, we were dead. This is what the Bible says in our trespasses and sins. Hopeless, helpless, stuck in a dopamine loop of dead and hopeless things. Where Paul says, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, not because of anything we did for him, because he loved us. Even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. 
He gave us something better to hope in. And not because we did something for him. He did it because he loved us. He caused us in this, in this verse. According to his great mercy, he caused us. We have not caused ourselves to be born again. You had nothing to do with your first birth, right? You weren't there. You didn't exist. Someone did that for you. You didn't set up your parents so they would have a kid and it be you. Like in the Terminator, that might have happened, you know? But like that doesn't happen in real life. And so that language of born again has gotten a bad rap because it just it has, and we don't use it, but you can see what it means. Like this is not in your control. He caused you to be reborn to spiritual life in Christ. Um, and if your hopes are the living hopes that he has promised, you can be certain they'll come to fruition because the one who loves you chose you. And like he is the one that's going to make those things come to fruition. In Romans, Paul says, He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? If he has caused us to be born again, um, I think this would be throwing bad money after good if he didn't take care of everything else. You know, he is going to take care of everything you need and more. He is going to fulfill your hopes if they're his hopes. Uh, and in his time, and in the way that he wants that hope to be fulfilled. I feel like Paul goes at this again by saying that we've been born again to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. An inheritance like birth is another, like just another category you don't have control over. Um, you, don't, you don't earn an inheritance, right? You don't inherit money that you earn. You don't have to. Uh, you're not in control of being in someone else's will. Hopefully you didn't write yourself into someone else's will because that's got to be illegal, right? Like someone has to choose you to write you into their will. And that's what he's, uh, that's what he's done. And that inheritance that he promises is, should be, that should be a source of hope. But is it a source of hope for us? It is an assurance that although things might seem rough, rough now, they're going to be more than okay. And again, to the extent that our hopes are in line with his hopes, that inheritance, like, is a source of assurance. But to the extent that our hopes are not the same hopes that he has for us. And I think this is what Peter is doing at the beginning of this letter, is making sure that they understand the story that they are a part of. Uh, to the extent that our hopes are not the same hopes, then the inheritance isn't going to matter to us. There's another line from, from Paul, from 1 Corinthians 15, that I think about a lot. He says, in, if in Christ we have hope, in this life only, we are of all people most to be pitied. And too often, I don't think I, don't think I talk about it enough, I don't think the church talks about it enough, that, that that inheritance is a huge hope for us. And we talk about Christ now, but not Christ then. And Paul says we're making a giant mistake by doing that. Um, and all that would be, would be something we just talk about to make ourselves feel better if there wasn't a tomb in Jerusalem that's empty and has Jesus' name on it, right? Uh, we've been born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. The reason we have that hope is because he has overcome the power of sin and death and given us the promise of something beyond this um, by his resurrection. Um, 
here, here is the last thing in this passage, that Jesus offers us an eternal hope and not a temporal hope. And so he finishes these verses by saying, Kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It is, this is the hardest thing about it for me. This is a future, this is a future hope. You can cue up that clip and get it going. This is, probably a few weeks ago now, this started ringing in my ears and my soul because this is, All right, you can fade that out. How many people have that ringing in their soul? I want it all, and I want it now. Amen. We can't say amen to that. That is the, the cultural air we breathe. Maybe, maybe, it's been, maybe it's been that since the Garden of Eden. Don't eat from the fruit of the tree of knowledge evil. Maybe Eve was thinking, oh, I want it now. I want it all, and I want it now. Um, it's just been us. It's who we are. Uh, and I don't even think wanting it all is a bad thing. I think God created us to want, like, great things <laughs> and to have great hopes, huge hopes, bigger hopes than we have. Um, and now is a different thing for him than it is for us because he stands outside time. He understands eternity, and we understand now. We understand time. Uh, there's a real tension in that, and it's a tension that's going to flow through the letter and a tension that flows um, through our souls. He's given us a great hope, a living hope, a hope you're made for, a hope you don't have to wonder if it's going to come true because he's guaranteed it, but it's a hope that's in the future, and the ultimate, satis the ultimate satisfaction of those hopes is on the other side of our death or this side of the return of Jesus. That takes a lot of faith, uh, and that can be difficult. We will receive an inheritance. Our salvation will be revealed fully, but we're not good at waiting for stuff. And what we do in the meantime is we take good things and we make them gods. Um, we put more weight on them than they are meant to bear. I think I mentioned this, that, um, that Tim Keller got pancreatic cancer a year or two ago. He's 69 years old. He faced his mortality in a way that, that you face it at 69 with, with um, pancreatic cancer. And said he realized that he and his wife were putting a weight on the things of earth and trying to make them things of heaven. And they repented of that. And then they enjoyed the things of earth so much more because they weren't asking of them something that they can't do. And I feel like there's so many things that we have that, that offer us a foretaste of heaven and biblically offer us a foretaste of what heaven is going to be like, but we try to make them heaven now and we crush them. So when you look at relational hopes, um, we do that with children. You know, we have such high hopes for our children, but our children can't live up to those hopes. And when they don't live up to those hopes, we crush them in the process. And when really those relationships, parent-child relationships, are a foretaste of our relationship with our Heavenly Father, which is perfect. But when we ask them for too much now, we kill them. A, a husband and a wife, Christ is the, the groom and the church is the bride. 
And so that relationship is a foretaste of what it is like to be in relationship with God himself. Uh, in the Bible, like much of the time when the kingdom of heaven is talked about, it's talked about as a wedding feast. Like that's the metaphor that's used. Well, what happened at a wedding feast, this ancient days, is the bride and groom went off and they consummated their marriage. They had sex like in a separate room while everybody's there. Everybody they came back out, everybody's like, way to go. Uh, and I, years ago, I thought, well, wait a second, what is this saying? And what I think it's saying is that the ecstasy of sex is a picture of what it's going to be like to have, like, the union with God that he created us for. Uh, it's a foretaste. But what, have, but what have we done with sex? We've crushed it. We've made it God. And we've crushed it. We put it out of place, you know, with our stuff. In the Bible, the new Jerusalem comes from heaven to earth. Heaven is not some ethereal place where you float around on clouds dressed in a toga. It is a material one. All things are made new. There are feasts in heaven. But we take the stuff and we make it ultimate. And this has got to be our God and it's got to be now instead of making it a foretaste and we ruin it. Uh, Our tasks were made for work and he'll have work for us to do without toil. But now we'll make our tasks and our productivity a God. And if it's not just perfect then we hate it. Uh, we take these things and we, we ruin them. There was a, um, a parable that I heard someone use in talking about this, like the, the temporal and the eternal, and he said uh, it's like a lumberjack going to clear a portion of a forest and, and realizes that there's a bird building a nest in the top of a tree that he's about to chop down, so he wants to get that bird out of there, so he just kind of whacks it with the back of the axe, like, hey, bird! Got to get out of there. I picture Nate's been clearing land to, to, for them to build their house just south of town. And so this is what I think Nate would do is he'd actually climb up the tree, get the bird and the partial nest, and like carry it down in one hand and then put it up in another tree. Did you do that? You thought about it. Okay. And, uh, but in this parable, like the, the bird moves to another tree and the lumberjack's like, man, I'm going to cut that one down too. And so he goes over there and whacks on it. And the bird's like, come on, man, I moved already. But he moves to another tree and he's going to cut that one too. And so finally the bird decides... To, to like get up in a high cliff, you know, and says, well, cut this one down, buddy. Um, and the guy said, this is what God is doing is he's taking down, he's like these things are all going to be temporary. And so he doesn't want us to place our ultimate hope in these things that aren't going to last, but in him who is going to last. Reminds me of C.S. Lewis saying, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. I think Peter is starting us off there. And so this is the last thing I want to say about this, that real hope requires lots of work. Real hope requires lots of work. This is a psalm um, that, I, that John Piper used in talking about hope. He said, Psalm 42, verses 5 and 6, Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. He just made the point, we have to counsel our souls to put our hope in the right things. It is work. It doesn't just come naturally for us. And Peter is coaching us to hope in the right things. He is saying these things are not ultimate, they're temporal. You will last forever. Hope in the things that will last forever. And we need to hear that, and we need to to tell each other that. We need to coach each other into that. You know, I said a few months ago, what we need are people close to us that will say, I love you. Remember who you are in Christ and keep the bar high. Hope in the right things. Um, 
And man, that can be hard. I find that hard because maybe the older I get, the greater the separation between me and the people around me that have lived out a different story for 50 years. And so we're experiencing different things. Um, and when you don't take the things of this world and act like they're ultimate, your life is going to look different. And sometimes you're going to look pretty foolish for having lived a different life. But getting back to last week where he starts this letter and he addresses it to the elect exiles of the dispersion in these areas of Turkey. Like, this is not your home. Uh, if you're living out what it means to follow Christ and the people around you are not, and that's not pejorative, it's just matter of fact, your life should look different. But in the midst of that, he wants us to know your hope is certain, it is guarded through faith, you'll get foretastes of it here, but the fullness of it in the future. And that is good news for you. And that doesn't mean you walk around with your head down, think, oh, because you don't have the futility of seeking you know, to make things that aren't meant to, to be ultimate, ultimate, and the futility that comes along with that. And he's given us all things richly to enjoy. <laughs> he made us for a great existence here. And so set your mind on the things of the Spirit, not on the things of the flesh. Ask yourself, which of the things um, that I hope in don't deserve any of my hope? Ask which of the things that I'm playing, what am I putting too much weight on, too much hope on? Um, and then ask, how much hope do I really place in the things of the Lord? And next week we'll lean into that as well and have a conversation with the people around you about that. The band can come back up and um, shoot. I don't have, I don't have, can you toss me one of those little communion cups? See, this is what's good about this. You can just throw communion around. Uh, at the end, I, I think we're, we're all made for, you know, I know we're all made for the same things. And we want to be loved. Uh, we want to matter. We want our existence to matter. We want to belong. Those are all good longings. We also want to be God and control everything. That's a bad longing and one you should just straight repent of. But the other ones like are good longings that we need to find the right way to live out. And so we want to belong and we're brothers and sisters and his children in the household of God and he has given us places that we can belong <laughs> and, and fulfill that longing. Uh, while not turning it, even the church, into an ultimate thing because it's a foretaste of the kingdom. We want to matter, and he's called us as co-creators of the things that he's created. And so whatever your work is, you are a co-creator with him. All work serves all work. And work is a, an opportunity to love your neighbor through the things that you're doing. And we've talked about that a lot before. And then he's called us into the ministry of reconciliation. He's given us great work to do. And we want to be loved. And, and we do this week after week to remind ourselves of the story that we're in. And that this ultimately is the expression of the love that he has for us and how we never have to wonder, you never have to wonder if he loves you. Because while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. So we're going to do this in remembrance of what he's done for us and reminding us of the love that he has for us. You can take off the, the um, top part, and this is Christ's body that has been broken for you. So we do this in remembrance of him.
And this juice represents the, the blood of Christ that has been shed for us. And so we drink this in remembrance of him. And these verses really do form a prayer, so I'm going to close by just rereading Peter's prayer. Blessed be God, the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. Amen.